Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an MQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our thoughts and experiences of what life can be like for a new teacher. Today, I'm talking to Melissa Stead. Now, Melissa has always wanted to be a teacher since the time she was in secondary school. To be more precise, she always wanted to work with children who had specific needs. So after qualifying with a BA Honours in primary education with QTS, she started as an NQT in a year five mainstream setting. But the draw to work with children with special needs had never gone away. Melissa visited other countries and supported staff who worked with children and adults who had a range of special needs before she started teaching in a school catering for pupils with a range of learning difficulties. And from day one in her new school, she knew this was where she'd always wanted to be. So today's chat is really exciting for me because I'm about to find out more than I ever knew about working in a special needs setting. Melissa, welcome. Thanks for speaking to me. Hi, thanks for having me. So you started in mainstream schools. Was that a good experience? Well, I only went into mainstream because everybody in education advised me to do my NQT year in mainstream, even though, as you say, from teenager, I knew I wanted to work with children with special needs. Um, So to me, it was kind of a means to an end. Not to say I didn't enjoy it, but it, it just wasn't where I quite wanted to be at that time. Right, so your heart was always in working with children with special needs. What was it that made you want to work with them? I honestly don't know. Um, I was thinking about being an occupational therapist for children with special needs. And then um, at every opportunity I would work with them. I did my you know, GCSE project with a little girl who had Down syndrome. And then I used to help out while I was at school with riding for the disabled. And I don't know, really. They can bring so much joy in. They're so lovely. They've got so much to give. And um, I think they're a really important part of our society. Oh, that's so true, isn't it? And I'm sort of tingling a bit here when you talk about, you know, helping children with disabilities when they're at riding school or whatever. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that was, that was great. Um, so I was I was riding at the time. It must have been about 14, 15. And um, I think I was down there in one holiday or weekend and saw the... RDA and you know I just asked how you can get involved and I just became a leader for the for one of the horses and with the the kids on top and then when I uh, became a special needs teacher um, I was then there as a teacher as well I don't like full circle. Hey, that's brilliant so let's start with a quick chat on how teachers feel about working with children with special needs because I was often unsure what to do for the best. Do you think some teachers are still lacking confidence in this area? Yeah, yes, definitely. I think some people are just a bit, I don't know if afraid is the right word, of the mm. unknown or knowing I how to... I think it is that. Yeah, how to how to speak to them, react to them, I don't know. Um, and I think that would be the same now as a teacher in a mainstream as well. I worked in um, Croatia. Oh, did you? Uh, Yes. What made you go there? The university chaplaincy, they've been going for years. So this one that we went to first off had moved on quite a lot 
but some of the adults were still being strapped into their beds at night time. But it's because, I mean, it's so sad, but it's because they haven't got the staffing. Mm -hmm. And if they get out of bed or fall out of bed in the night, there's just not the people for it. And it's crazy that people in Croatia, the people that do work at those institutes um are frowned upon you what know? for working there for working there and i oh, think those right. are the best people well absolutely because my mother-in-law has just died and she was in a care home at the end of her life and she had dementia and she could be quite difficult much as yeah. we loved her desperately but oh the care that was given to her and the mm. respect we had for her carers when dealing with someone with special needs. Oh, we had so much respect. And yeah. as a society, we don't respect them nearly enough, even now, do we? Things have changed oh, no. quite a lot in the UK over the decades, because it's not all that long ago. And and maybe even when I was at school, you know, the children who found work difficult would be stood in the corner. That's really mm. going to help them learn a lot, isn't it? And you still <laughs> see that that sort of old comedy films of the dancer's cap and all that sort of thing. And yeah. you think, crikey, we've come a long way in the UK, but respecting people who work with people with special needs, I've got so much time for them, as as everyone should have, because mm. they do great work, and it's often very difficult work, isn't it? Have yes, you been yes. anywhere else in the world? Yeah, um, so I went back to Croatia the following year. We went to a different institute, and... Um, and because, like I say, the um, Mission Croatia had been working with that institute for many years, so they'd come a long way. But this one was the first time we'd started working with this this um, other institute, and they were mainly adults, and that was really awful, you know. But in, they still had the children in, they had the metal cots with on top of each other, so just like a baby oh, cage. So they were still like that, and then the people were just laying in their beds in the corridors, all day doing nothing and if if we you know if we didn't go there they wouldn't get taken out or any interaction or anything so we just tried to teach them more things and ways of doing things they were they were very receptive but yeah also I worked at a place um, in Pingalawara called Pingalawara in Amritsar in India right um my husband and I went out there he's a carpenter so he he worked with some of the, again, it was an orphanage. They had an orphanage with um, kids with additional needs. And then they had um, some also for um, hearing impaired and boys. Um, so he worked and did carpentry with the boys, which was, they absolutely, it was fantastic. Oh, I bet they loved it. They did, they did. And oh, Andy loved it. And we're still in touch with some of them as well, which is nice. And um, <clears throat> my friend and I worked with um, the ladies in the special needs area. And I mean, they got they had they had some toys and they got the toys out for the children and the child went to touch it and they slapped them. No. Like, Don't touch it. Not allowed to touch it because they want to keep it nice. And I was like, because <laughs> obviously we didn't speak the same language, but but I was no. like, no, no, no. And um, was able to show them how they can use it and the fun they can have from it. Yeah, and, and did they respond positively to that? They did, they did, yeah. They, they did take, take it on board. And the teachers were really keen, actually, and they could see the fun the kids were getting from it as well. So with some of the older ones, you know, we took... Um, 
bubbles and just the the balloons that you long balloons that you let off that make a noise as they mm. whiz around and oh my goodness it was amazing and everybody just so happy and the kids so engaged and you know teaching them other ways of communicating as well with pictures and things it was just fantastic and I think everybody got a lot out of it. Do you think attitudes generally in society more positive towards children with special needs or people with special needs? I would like to think so. Because I think this is a big thing, isn't it, for young, inexperienced, trainee teachers. I think it's a huge thing to learn about how we refer to a child with special sure. needs. We, we don't talk about them as special needs children or disabled children because that will make the young person feel like they've got challenges they can't overcome. overcome. It sort of makes them feel hopeless, doesn't it? I mm. am this. This is This defines me as a person. And, and it sort of implies that a child is broken, that they, yeah. they need to be repaired or they're lacking in some way. And, and that seems to me to be uh, a, a really terrible way of referring to children. So we don't yes. define a child by his or her impairment. We say that they're a child with this. Yes, so a child with autism as opposed to an autistic child. Absolutely. Yeah, when I was a trainee teacher and when I was a newly qualified teacher, I didn't know how you referred to these people. And I, and mm. I, quite honestly, I'm not sure I had the knowledge or the skills. So although I had a classroom that was massively inclusive, I'm not sure I always used the right terms. If the children know you love them and you yes. care for them and you'll do anything for them, then they'll forgive you that. It doesn't make it right, but they'll forgive you it. Whereas if, if your classroom isn't like that, then using the right terms becomes even more important, more important. I think. Do you yeah. think that? I mean, you've got much more experience than me in this. Back in the 90s, I'm sure it was, oh, you're such a flid, which is awful yeah. if you think about it. Well, but, no, it's um, shocking. It is. But like you, you're saying, um, when I was in India, when... Um, a man was showing us around, showing me around the um, orphanage. And he was like, and this is where the retarded children oh, um, live. And I, I was just like shocked. And, and But it was, it was taken as okay. And they had posters, posters that looked like they were from 1940s, 50s. And it said, let the retarded children join in your game. Oh, so golly. it's like they're trying to do the right thing. Well, that sort of emphasises, doesn't it, that the importance of training and being yeah. really clear. Because it's like badly behaved children, don't we? We don't say that's mm. the naughty child. No. We say, we say Stephen sometimes that... finds it difficult to choose yeah. the right thing to do. Because yes. we're always trying to protect their self-esteem and say, it's not about you. And, and when children say, I remember a boy once I excluded and he said, you don't like me, do you? In fact, he so, said, no, I don't dislike you. I don't like your behaviour. That's it. In fact, play. he said, you effing hate me, don't you? And I said, <laughs> no, I don't, actually. I said, you're a lovely chap. I said, but when you do this, obviously that's not OK because, because you hurt other children. So we can't do that, but but I I love you, man. I'm going to help you as much as I can. You're effing not, you effing hate me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I love you, and I'm going to look after you. But uh, but you can't hurt people. Uh, so we've got to change that bit. We've um, recently done at my school the trauma perceptive practice training, and um, so we've got a whole. You Tell know, us a bit of... about that because I know nothing about that. 
Oh, it's fantastic. And it's, 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 it's always looking at um, where the behaviour is coming from and how you deal with it. There's no point trying to have a conversation with a child while they're in a heightened state. No, they're in the wrong bit of the brain, aren't they? They can't. Yes, they can't make rational thoughts. Flight, flight or fight, aren't they? Yeah, they so, are. Yeah, and, it, and it's all about emotional pots overflowing and making sure that they have times in the day where you let a bit out so that they remain less full, so they've got that capacity to take more on. And and it's it's just really good. And you know, I've I've changed the behaviour policy at school to um, incorporate all the concepts of the trauma perceptive practice and it's just trying to get um all staff on board because they always they don't always see it as well he can't talk to me like that and how's he getting away with it because he's not getting a consequence well he's gonna have time out in his playtime but that's time to reflect on what he's done mm. and how we can do it differently next time and there's no point shouting at him and telling him you know but some people don't always get it. No, they don't. So remember that, folks. Be very careful in the way you talk about children with special needs. They have needs. Every child has special needs. I used to say this to my parents. Your child's special needs. And they said, what, he's special needs? And I said, no, he's not special needs, but every child has special needs. And your child needs help with this or help with that or help with the other. Every child is special and every child has special needs. And I think thinking about it in that way, the potential for discrimination is significantly reduced, if not removed. And then Mm. because every child has something they need, don't they? Just as every adult does too. Let's go back then. Tell me about your first time in a special needs classroom. You wasn't allowed to do a placement in a special needs school during my course, though I tried. I think you can now. Which you is can good. now, definitely. So mm. that's great, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I went to it with kind of no proper special educational training. Mm. Um, and I went on a lot, a lot of courses. Um, I, I also learned, you know a lot from the the LSAs, you know, that have worked with them for a long time. You don't go in there just because you're the teacher. You know it all. You, you know, you learn That's so important, well. isn't it, that you're a team. We, yes. we help each other, we work together, we support each other in different ways. And that's right at the crux, isn't it, of, mm. of being a great teacher, is that yes. I can learn from anyone. And that's what I expect of all of you. We can all learn off each other too. Yeah, and it's you need to be more of a team um, in those settings as well because, you know, some days it can be really, really tough. So tell so, us yeah. about day one. You've gone in day one, never taught a class in an SEND setting. Well, what were your honestly, first thoughts? Well, I couldn't believe my luck. I was just like, how am I getting paid for doing this? I love it. Really? <laughs> it hey, was great. great. Really great. And I just just love loved the kids. I, had, I started off with... Um, a quite a small class with um, a lot of additional needs. None of them were verbal. And um, I had about five or six, five or six. Um, and they were all physically able apart from one. Um, so, and just because, because I thought, you know, when you get told they're nonverbal, I thought it's going to be quiet, quiet day, but it, you know, they've got plenty to say yeah. <laughs> without necessarily the words, but, um, it was great. And we, we, you know, sat in a circle and we, we did 
math songs and um, use a lot of props. And then I learned how to use, you know, make everything really sensory and hands-on and engaging, which was ideal for all kids. So what was your greatest achievement, do you think, in your first year? This wasn't my first year, but one of them was I had had this boy, he must have been about 14, because I I moved across the school, so I even went up to the big ones. So what did you start with? What year were you starting? I started with, they were Key Stage 1, 2 mixed. Right. Um, And then it was Key Stage 2, then I was Key Stage 3, and then I was key stage three, a lot more able. Right. A lot more able. So I had in that key stage three class, I had um, some working on, you know, what was P scales, P8 mm-hmm. in maths. And I had another one working at like national curriculum level four maths. Oh, right. Um, wow. So that was tricky. But um, yes, yeah, so I had this 14 year old boy and he he was lovely and he had language, but he had echolalia so he would just copy what anybody said right um so i introduced pecs with him which hadn't been done before and it wasn't long what's pecs for our listeners oh picture picture exchange communication system Mm -hmm. so it's using pictures and then you introduce words as well but all with symbols and it wasn't long and I got him answering questions and talking in full sentences and we'd go walking around the school just me and him and I would say what can you see and he would go I see trees and I was like wow well done and it, it, was, it was just he's wonderful and I videoed it for his mum because um and I, I tried to you know carry it on at home but it's tricky it's tricky at home to, to kind of get the continuity. Mm. But, you know, it was someone who who wasn't talking to talking and having conversations. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I once worked in a school which had a speech and language unit mm-hmm. um, um, for children with very specific speech and language needs. And I, I had one boy very similar to that. He was in my class being reintegrated back into mainstream from the speech and language unit before he went back to the school he'd originally come from. And everything he said, everything was far, far away. And I'd say, uh, do you think you can go and get that book for me? And he'd say, I can, Mr Crook, but it's far, far away. I said, well, it's not, is it really? It's only just the other side of the classroom. So can you say that to me? Can you say it's just over there, Mr Crook? It's just over there, Mr. Crook, but it is far, far away. And I'd say, well, well, I want you back here in 30 seconds with that book, which will prove it's not far, far away. It's just over there. Just say that again to me. And then we'd go out, you know, be on playground duty or something like that. And I'd say, go and get the ball. I can't get the ball, Mr. Crook. It's far, far away. And I'd say, no, it isn't, is it? It's there. So I want you to run just over there, just over there. And, you know, we were trying to get him to have these grades of distance rather than everything being far, far far away. away. Oh, such a... (laughs) I loved that boy so much. He was so much fun to be with. And again, the progress they make is astonishing, isn't it? When you expect Mm. it of them, when you give them the opportunity to do really well. So what about a favourite memory? Oh, one that almost made me cry. We had this lovely boy. He must have been about 14. He was, you know, he towered above me. And um, we were going to a sports day in Chelmsford. And um, he, we'd put him, we'd entered him for the walking race because, you know, he'd not do, he's not keen on any kind of exercise 
or anything. So we'd practiced at school and he, he was doing the walking race. And, and when we practiced at school, it, it was like trying to get something moving. Then when he came to the actual race, he stood there in the walking race and then he just ran as fast. I've never seen, never seen the boy run in my life. And he was laughing and giggling and he just ran all the way to the end. Absolutely is in hysterics and I thought he's been having us on and it was just so so funny and he he just loved it and, and that was so nice because also other members of his class who perhaps you know working at that higher level much more able were really cheering him on and oh, that was just so lovely good. because yeah because normally you know well some in particular would would be a bit unkind or you know and it was just mm. really nice that they all came together and he was actually getting cheered on. He was fantastic. That's so what you want, isn't it? I remember when we used to have sports day at school and, and in my mainstream primary school, the last one I was in, we had quite a number of children, some with cerebral palsy, uh, with various additional needs or, or with various special needs. And on sports days, we used to stream them in running races just so that, you know, the fastest ran against the fastest, but everyone yeah. was treated the same in terms of, you know, you just had a race and you had a race because it was fun and who cares if you win? It was competitive and if you were a really good runner, you could run against another really good runner and you could be proud you came first, but we clapped as much for the person who came eighth. And I used to spend a lot of my day on sports days running up the running track with someone who was plodding along, waving to the crowd, being clapped and clapped and and we used to hold hands and run up the track oh they had so much fun and that inclusion is so important isn't it yeah those are lovely memories for me too i once had a lad we used to go to the lake district every year and take the children for a week go and stay in a youth hostel and we took a lad who had cerebral palsy and we used to go trekking on the fells you know and but he couldn't trek on the fells because he had his uh motorized buggy we'd mapped out some walks for him where he could walk around the lakes in his buggy and there was always a group of children who didn't fancy going up to the top of the fells instead they'd go around with him oh and, nice. and just magnificent and i remember him going around grasmere one time in his buggy and there was a path all round grasmere so he could get all the way round. oh when he came back the tales he had to tell about <laughs> a buggy through a stream and all that sort of thing was just so good yeah. Have you ever had any, you know, scary moments? Yes, um, I could think of a lot, but um, the most scary and dangerous one was we took all the kids, the whole school, down to, I want to say Mersey, but I think it might have been Walton on the Nays for a nice day out in the summer. And um, this is when I was with the bigger kids, Key Stage 3, but had quite significant needs. And um, myself and another teacher were two to one with this boy, and he um, he was so excited. He was he was nonverbal, and he was so excited by the sea, and he loves swimming. So as soon as we got on the beach, obviously we're all still fully clothed. He ran straight into the <laughs> sea, straight into the sea. I've still got my back on phone and everything and we had we couldn't do anything other than follow him so me and this other teacher wading into the sea we're now up to our waist <laughs> and he's 
<laughs> women about. But then, uh, I mean, that that section's funny, but then it's awful because then he, he got himself in such an excited state, he had a seizure. Oh, so, no. Yeah, so me and this other teacher are trying to, he's a big boy, pull him out of the sea and then... Um, shouting for someone to get his medication as we're dragging him onto the beach and then obviously he was fine and we sorted that all out um but poor boy he was so excited and then that happened and then that meant he slept for the rest of the day oh golly so he missed out on it all but um that was really scary really scary and we were just soaked for the rest of the day yes which (laughs) must have been what what time of year was it it was in the summer. Oh, so yeah. it was steaming a bit then. Steaming, yes. Have you got any other any other good tales? These are these are so interesting, and um, oh. what's interesting, of course, is the way you dealt with them. Because you have to be calm, don't you? When yes. a crisis hits, someone once said to me, "Do you never get anxious?" I said, "Inside, hundred oh. percent of the time. On the outside, naught percent of the time, because oh, yeah. there's no point looking anxious when everyone's anxious." because you've got to deal with the situation. And I said, fortunately, although my stomach is churning wildly, on the outside I look utterly calm and in control. Yes, I hope that is how I did also. Um, (laughs) It sounds like it sounds like you dealt with it fantastically. um, This other boy, we're due to go swimming, so we're all on the coach, and I've got this 14-year-old boy, tall, you know, lanky like teenagers are. And um, and then for whatever reason, swimming got cancelled. And so it was like everybody off the coach. And if you know what some children with autism are like, you know, they don't like change. They like routine. Mm. And so he was not impressed that we were not going swimming anymore. So we were like, we're trying to explain and reason with him anyway we went upstairs into the classroom and the next thing I know um, I asked one of my um, LSAs where this child has gone and then he comes in the class in his swim shorts so he'd gone and got himself changed in the toilets come in his swim shorts he's laying in the walkway of the classroom swimming on the floor right. he's like I'm having my swimming <laughs> having my swimming <laughs> and it was just oh my goodness it was so funny I had to I went and got my colleague next door and, he's, and we were chatting and laughing with him <laughs> it was just very funny it's just great when you laugh with the children they laugh you laugh you don't get uptight or stressed about it you don't tell them off you just enjoy oh, that no. moment because <laughs> there's so many in SEND settings and in mainstream settings there are so many funny things that happen and you have to enjoy them, don't you? Yes, I would like to write write them all down and share it. <laughs> yeah, because these are great moments. They're great moments for the children. They're great moments for the adults. And uh, we take life way too seriously, don't we? I know yeah. education, children have to do as well as they oh, possibly yeah. can. And everyone's focused on that. I've never met anyone in education or I've almost met no one in education who isn't focused on helping the children be as good as they can possibly be. But, God, crikey, we take it too seriously at times. Oh, well, there's so much pressure, isn't there? Yeah. And, you know... Is that I'm... the case in SEND settings? Do you, do you feel the same pressure as you did when you were in mainstream settings? Not quite as much. I don't think you've got as much to get through. You still cover all the areas of the curriculum, Mm. but there's not that pressure to cover everything because you're going 
to be assessed on it. We had we had the same things, you know, staff meeting each week. This is the new initiative that we're going to put in place. Right. And I think in education, there's never a just look. We're doing great. Let's leave it as it is. No, it's always, 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 always improving on what you've got non-stop yeah and it's good to improve isn't it but too much change is bad change isn't it yeah i remember speaking at the 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 new national curriculum michael gove's fairly desperate national curriculum was brought in Mm. and uh, and i was speaking at a publisher's conference and i just had ofsted and they'd said jeremy this is the best curriculum we've ever seen and at the publisher's conference they said uh we've got a new national curriculum what changes are you going to make i said well, I'm not making any. And they said, but you have to make them. I said, look, I've just had Ofsted. Just we've, said, yeah. we've spent five years developing this curriculum. We think it's rather good. And then Michael Gove decides to change the curriculum for everyone. I said, so now we could go into another five-year development. And what's the impact going to be on the children currently in our school? I said, so yeah. we're not changing the curriculum. We're going to add in the English and maths bits that are raising expectations because that's easy to incorporate Mm. but we're not going to get rid of all the themes we're currently working on just because the national curriculum now specifies other ones I said because that makes no sense does it because that puts everyone under pressure they'll teach less well trying to teach new stuff having got used to all the things we've done and so we're going to take it a bit at a time and we'll change if it's worth changing because it makes the education better and otherwise we're not going to change Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my head, she's very good. She's like that. She says, well, you know, pick and choose carefully the things that you want to take on or try. Yeah, that's it. I once I went, went into my deputy's classroom and she said to me, if you've come here with another idea, you can just bugger off. <laughs> Radio, Chris, I will, then I'll bugger off. I said, uh, when should I come back with the next new idea? She said, two months. Don't come before two months. I said, right, yo. She was very blunt speaking. She was also utterly brilliant and, mm. and possibly the best teacher I've ever worked with, although I've worked with many great, great teachers. But uh, she just called it how it was, and that's why she and I, as head and deputy, were so successful well, together. Yeah, yeah because yeah. We, we were absolutely honest with each other, and, and it really worked. So we're running out of time, Melissa. It's been fascinating yeah. finding out about the SEND setting, what advice would you have for someone then just starting out as an ECT now, as a new teacher? Have you got any advice generally or have you got any specific advice for being in an SEND setting? Yeah, well, you said at the beginning about what I wish I knew. And I think, um, thinking back to, uh, well, to both really, is more, I would like I would like to have known more about the indiv- individual needs of my pupils so then I could put the correct things in place for them. Mm. That is definitely something I would advise. And um, more em- in both settings, more emphasis on reading and actually teaching reading rather than, just listening to readers once a week um yeah which does no good because if they can read they read and if they can't read we've got to teach them how to read haven't we yes yes and I don't think I had any well I didn't I didn't have any phonics training whatsoever in my really my course yep no there was an interesting bit of research done they said the phonics initiative hasn't really worked really yeah because phonics is great isn't it it's fantastic for some children for some yeah Uh, yeah exactly And, and and other approaches to reading are fantastic for some children and some children just need all of them and (laughs) and what we've got to be is have that flexibility 
And, and what you've just said, precisely what you've just said, we've got to hear the child read, we've got to analyse the things they're finding difficult, and then we've got to teach them the things they need to be able to do. And there's a yeah. whole range of approaches, aren't there, to that? This is yes. making me think I must do a reading, what I wish I knew. And, hey. and the, other, the other one was, because which I found a challenge, was managing other adults. We didn't mm. get, and I know that other young teachers, I think that makes a difference as well, because normally your LSA is older than you, and mm. going in as a young teacher, trying to ask somebody older than you to do things for you, obviously amicably and whatever, but it's hard. And also you don't get any training on how to use additional adults. I don't know if you do now, but you should. Um, we talk not- about it a lot. Last week I was working with some of my trainee teachers and, and one of the questions I had was about deploying other adults and working yes. with them to make sure that you were both working efficiently and you were both supporting the children who needed support and and all those aspects of working with other adults. So it's certainly yeah. on the training programme now. That's uh, good. Quite how much they get taught because I think one of the things you need to be taught is just about What's the conversation I have? And I say to all of mine, I say, just say to them, we're a team, we need to work together. I want your ideas. I may not always agree with them. There may be times Mm. when I say, well, we're not going to do that at the moment because I think this is the way I want to work with these children at the moment. And what you've said, as long as you do that really professionally and respectfully, then only an additional adult who actually doesn't like working collaboratively would get upset by it yes yes making sure they're not always with those children with additional needs and making sure that's so important isn't it yeah the teacher i used to say i used to say to my teachers make sure i never ever 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 see the lsa working with the same group of children every day never i said (laughs) and, and and the ones they should work with more than any other are those children who are at age-related expectations or above? Those middleies, uh, yes. Exactly, and, because yeah, because you're the teacher with all the subject knowledge and all the expertise, well, not yeah. all of it, of course, but in theory with more than the LSA, and therefore you're the person who needs to work needs with to the children to... who are below age-related expectations because we need to accelerate their learning as best we can. Indeed. Indeed. Ah, Melissa, that's been marvellous. That's been so interesting. I've learned so much about SEND. It's been great for me too. So thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Great stuff. All teachers help all children, but we especially help those who are in less favourable positions than others. Teaching is such a noble profession. It really is and stands out with just a handful of other careers as being the glue that holds our society together in so many ways. Maybe some of you think that's a big claim, but I totally believe it. Without great teachers, society would be a much poorer place. Marcus Tullius Cicero, the greatest orator of the late Roman Republic, a brilliant lawyer and a leading political figure in the era of Julius Caesar, Pompey, Mark Antony and Octavian, who lived over 2,000 years ago, said, non nobis solum nati sumus, which my fairly poor secondary school Latin tells me translates as, not for ourselves alone are we born. 
Hey, that would make a great strapline for being a teacher, wouldn't it? And more recently, actor Will Smith said, if you're not making someone else's life better, then you're wasting your time. Your life will become better by making other lives better. And so say all of us, Will. And that is what Melissa has made clear today in such a powerful way. So what now, listeners? Is there something that Melissa has said that has made you think about what you do? There must be. Every child you teach will have a special need, but some have more needs than others. So the challenge is, how are you going to support all the children to do just a little bit better than they're doing now? It's been an inspiring and humbling chat, Melissa. And once again, it demonstrates what an important job it is to be a teacher. All you teachers out there, never doubt how important you are. Your goodness and determination to help young people achieve what they're capable of makes such a difference to so many people. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We will keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.